0: Welcome back to One Nail at a Time, insights for building your patient's medical home. I'm Laurie. And I'm Michelle, and we're with the Alberta Medical
1: Association.
0: Today's episode is on access. Now, access in healthcare is a huge topic <laughs> across our whole system, but we're going to talk today about access in primary care and talk to a renowned Alberta physician uh, who knows a lot about access and access improvements.
1: Yeah, because in Alberta, we've been doing work on uh, timely access. And timely access meaning access for patients To care not talking about physical access to the clinic for patients which is also important but not what we're talking about today we're talking about timely access to care and we have been working on that in Alberta for a very long time many many years but I think what's different now Laurie is we see it in the bigger context of the patient's medical home Mm. now we understand that you can't have um good continuity of care for patients if they can't get access to that care where they need it. And Absolutely. you can't provide that access if you don't know who your panel is and don't have processes for managing and you don't have your team helping to provide that care. It's all, it's huge, just like you were
0: saying. Yeah. And so today we have with us Dr. Ernie Schuster. So he was one of our early innovators who was out of the gate doing this work and then actually went and taught this work and was helping to spread this great uh, access improvement work across the province. Mm -hmm. And he dispenses many, many pearls
1: in the time uh, I was chatting with him. I think one of my favorites is, um, if you don't know how to say no to new patients, you're saying no to your existing patients. So,
0: how true. So, just before we get started, I want to say, I have always loved the language of access. And it's using the concepts of supply and demand, which at first thinking about this economic concept Mm -hmm. and translating it into healthcare doesn't seem to make sense but actually it moves over quite smoothly and effectively uh, and I really like the way it translates so and I know that uh, Dr. Schuster will be talking to us about that. Yes he will in fact let's let's get right to it shall we?
1: Dr. Ernie Schuster welcome to One Nail at a Time thanks for joining our podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, uh, yes, my name is uh, Ernie Schuster. I'm a family physician. I've been in practice for 35 years, uh, fee-for-service. Um, I've done it all. Um, <laughs> 35 years ago, you know, did deliveries, you did hospital work, emergency, nursing homes, everything you can think of. Um, and um, now I'm sort of um, on the later part of my career, so I don't deliver babies anymore. I don't work in the hospital anymore, but still see uh, patients from cradle to
1: grave. Oh, lovely. And share your wisdom with with the others who are just coming up, which is hopefully what we're going to do today, capture some of your, your wise words about access. And so just to give our listeners a little bit of background, um, we all know that the, um, the implementation elements for patients' medical home, continuity of care is really important. And we know that it's really difficult to provide good relational continuity if patients can't access care when they need it. So the key is to focus on access in order to improve continuity. So, to start us off, Dr. Schuster, can you explain to our listeners what we mean when we talk about supply and demand in the context of primary care?
2: Okay, thank you very much, uh, Michelle. So, it's actually a a rather simple concept. Uh, Concept can be illustrated uh, as a um, water basin where water flows in and then on the other side, the water flows out. And as long as that water basin doesn't overfill or gets empty too quickly, then you have a, um, a match between supply and demand. Now, if you uh, want to bring this into uh, into the medical office, into family practice, what it basically means is that you can keep up with the workload that you have with your patients to give them timely access. And, um, you know, we were were at some stage, we were at a time when people were booking checkups like Mm. months down the road. Yeah, and uh, that was a bit of a problem. And uh, then people were so booked up that when little things came around, things that needed to be dealt with the same day, it wasn't dealt with. And then people went to the emergency department or to walking clinics. So the the it is a really important um, issue now with supply and demand. Obviously, if you have that one matched, your continuity will be much better because if people don't have to wait for you, they won't go elsewhere. And if they don't go elsewhere, then you have achieved what is called continuity. Many people think that continuity means that you have to be on the phone or in the office like 24-7, which is totally not true because people are willing to wait a certain amount of time as long as they Mm -hmm. know that you're available. And quite frankly, there was such a thing as what you call just-in-case appointment where people made appointments into the future just in case something came up they wanted to discuss, and that was the only way they could get access. But if they know they don't have to do that, and they know that they can call that day and get an appointment, and now we have the advantage of even doing that virtually, if that's appropriate, um, then people will actually be quite happy to, you know, wait till Monday and uh, if they have some issues, and you will achieve great continuity. Uh, That continuity can be very well measured now through the HQCA panel report, which uh, will give you great numbers of emergency use of your patients and so on. But getting back to supply and demand, one of the things we realized uh, is that, uh, especially when we were in a net deficit of family physicians, that people tended to over-panel themselves. And over-paneling basically means people never said no. And I've always said that if you say if you don't know how to say no to new patients, you say no to your existing patients. And that doesn't make an awful lot of sense, right? So you need to have a panel size where you can comfortably, and, um, you know, you have to keep in mind your lifestyle, your family, uh, and everything else where you comfortably can service these people in a timely fashion. So at some stage, you're just going to have to say the practice is full, uh, or you have to find some sort of a limitation. And if you find that uh, you're really falling behind with your workload, then there is something that we call um, catching up, right, where you have to work just a little bit harder for a while until your demand and supply is being met and that you don't have a backlog. The backlog is really a bad thing. We know that from industry, uh, backlogs uh, cost more money. In industry, you need more warehouses. Uh, you have uh, things breaking in the warehouse. So the Toyota has actually uh, shown us how this works and trying to eliminate uh, uh backlog and really providing services just in time.
1: Yeah, so there's a whole whole lot, a whole lot that you explained in there, which is fantastic. And I was hoping maybe we could focus in. Let's hone in on the demand part of that supply and demand equation. And so one strategy to help um, to help provide that great continuity of care for your patient panel is to reduce the demand. And so you have several strategies that you use and recommend to others. What are are some of those? What's your favorite strategy to start off? Sure. Um, And
2: if you really look at uh, demand, there's uh, one portion of what is called external demand. That is something you cannot control. And then there's internal demand, which is something you can actually control. So an example of external demand would be you haven't seen a patient for a long time and uh, they sprain their foot and they call the clinic and uh, they want to get this dealt with. That would be external. You have no control on that. Internal demand is all those good things that we do lots of, which is recalls, um, you know, giving out short-term prescriptions, saying, I can't do this today, I have to do this some other time. Because each time you do that, you create another appointment into the future, another task into the future, which actually takes away appointment time from maybe external demand patients, okay? So when I first realized that, I started to um, to uh, institute some things which um, really served me quite well. And, the, and one of the biggest questions was always, well, if you do these kind of things, is that going to actually show on your pocket pocketbook? In other words, are you going to lose money because you're to, not giving out prescriptions every three months, but you give it for 14 months? And that's been one of my favorite things to do is to give a prescription (laughs) for 14 months. Now, you may ask why 14? Well, because as you know, uh, you can't really um, uh, bill a comprehensive exam uh, until at least 365 days are over. So if you don't want to run into the situation where patients run out and then you need to see them um, before the 365 days are over, then you can't actually do the comprehensive exam. And then you, you know, I I guess uh, from an economic point of view, you would say, well, I'll refill your prescription on that visit, but then I'll have to get you to come back after 365 days so we can do all your preventative screening. And uh, some people call it complete checkups. Uh, That's Term is not that popular anymore, uh, but then you can actually build a comprehensive visit, um, and if you spend enough time with a complex modifier, which is not a bad way of doing it, and then you deal with everything, all the screening, you make sure every all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, and you give a prescription, you do the lab work, prescription is for fourteen months, and you basically say to that patient at the end of the visit, uh, I guess I'll see you in a year. And uh, until then, if there's anything, you can always call me. Now, that is in contrast to some people that say, well, you know, your blood pressure, um, we we really should check it again in three months or, um, you know, and and again, it depends a bit on the patient. But if you can empower them to check their own blood pressure, then you really don't need to see them uh, that often or if they monitor their own chronic disease. And that's where the team comes in as well. You can have the team continuing to monitor the patient um, with you and um, then just create that vacancy the other thing is uh, another trick that I've used is when I realized that people came in that I haven't seen for a while and they're due for their checkup and um, you know because I haven't done a blood pressure on them or, or lipid monitoring mammogram or whatever it is is to say um, oh you're here for your for your uh, sprained foot or for your injury to your knee or whatever um, I see that we really, that you're due for these, uh, preventative maneuvers and, uh, and, uh, tests. So why don't we just get your checkup done right now? And I call those surprise medicals. So <laughs> what you've done all of a sudden is you have prevented another visit into the future. Yeah. Uh, you've captured the patient for the preventative screening. The beautiful thing about it is they don't come with a list because if they know they're going to have a check, they're going to create this really long list for you. And they don't have that list, right? And you can get these things done. One of the things that's really important is to make sure that you have everything which you need there and so that gets back to having optimization of your exam room everything is being set up i have a scale in my in every exam room so i can weigh patients so i don't have to get them out and and get dressed and get weighed and come back and so on so so i have all these things right in the exam room so i can do the preventative uh, exam at that time and get them all taken care of at that time i would uh, do lab work um uh, Some patients actually even ask for the requisition for the lab work for the next visit, which is a year down the road, so they can have those results ready, and there doesn't have to be a callback, but everything can be dealt with in that visit. Max packing is another strategy uh, that I've used a lot, which is really asking yourself, how much longer would it take if I deal with a particular concern as it comes up in the visit? Um, A typical example would be a patient comes from an unrelated issue and then they have some some warts uh, or some skin lesions that may need some liquid nitrogen treatment. So you could say to the patient, well, you know what, why don't you make another appointment and we'll see you and treat your skin lesions. Um, And the big mistake some people make is, well, I make more money because if I get this visit and then I get another visit, then I make more money than if I do it right now. But there is a, an issue with that, especially if you have a good, a good demand, if you have lots of requests for appointments, because that appointment that you would give for the war treatment could have been given to another patient with external demand. So I would simply do those things like right away, right? Um, I've often been caught where people show me skin lesion that didn't look quite right. I had everything set up to do a correct biopsy, and I just get it done. Right, uh, You say, well, that might really delay my day. Well, it depends a bit, right? So if you're really running a little bit behind, then you might want to reconsider. But, um, you know, quite often, if you if you just have everything ready and your nurse is prepared to just bring a biopsy tray and you can just do it in two minutes and get it done, then um, that would be really a good example of max packing. There's a lot of people that say they can only have one problem or two problems per visit. Um, I've been struggling with this all the time. I don't think it really saves you time because, first of all, you need more visits afterwards in order to deal with the issue. And then when people come back for the same for that same issue on another day they will elaborate and will need way more attention than if you deal with things quickly and, and just get it out of the way so max packing is a very very important strategy that we can use in order to keep our uh, our supply up and um and if you have and if you have good supply and you have lots of uh, appointments into the future, then um, you the people that are in your practice that need to see you on a timely fashion will be able to do so.
1: And what uh, what role does your team play in max packing?
2: Well, the team is really important, right, because uh, especially for chronic disease management. Um You know, quite often I would find a patient comes in, they might have an impaired glucose uh, test. That is when I say, you know what, I'm going to get um, my team member uh, to talk to you about how we can get that down, uh, get you involved in some PCN um uh, resources that we have to look at your diet, to look at uh, some weight loss and so on to deal with that. And, uh, you know, I even have a pharmacist uh, who is part of my team and I have an older practice and that's really useful, especially if it comes to medication review uh, you know, very complex patients, people that are just discharged from hospital that aren't totally new medication. So the team comes in. If you plan these visits well, then they actually are already worked up by your team member and your actual time with the patient, which we call the red zone time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, can be, can be much more efficient and that will actually really allow your supply as well. Uh, I have some, uh, some you know, nursing staff that can certainly do uh, some liquid nitrogen treatments. Uh, they can, they can do all the injections that need to be done. And again, it's uh, it's just a matter of, of working with the team uh, very efficiently, and also have the team, especially your medical office assistants, making sure that everything that you might need during the visit is easily available. That would also, for me, uh, include that you don't have to search through the chart. When was your last colonoscopy? Let me see. And then you just waste time trying to find that. Or when was your last mammogram? And where do you go for your mammogram? And then you have to find that before you can do a requisition. Your team can actually have all that ready for you. And then you can simply say, you yeah, know, I see you're due for your PAP. It's already set up. Your mammogram requisition is already filled out and so on. Uh, so, you know, you really there are a lot of techniques how you can reduce your red zone time and, um, and uh, increase your supply.
1: Absolutely. We like to say around here that the, the EMR should be the hardest working member of the team. So do you? Uh, how do you use your EMR to help you out with with this work?
2: Um, well, there's many ways uh, that EMR... I've been on... Uh, personally, I have had an EMR since 2002, so we're coming up 20 years, and I'm on my third one. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, and I never thought at my age, I just actually two years ago switched uh, again from Wolf to MedAccess, and I thought I could do that, but I'm actually doing okay with it. But uh, a few uh, tools that you have, one is... Um, uh, you know, reminders. So I send myself a message quite often. I see a PSA maybe up a little bit and I want to recheck it in three months. And I'm always worried about forgetting things like that. So I would just set myself a reminder three months down the road. Did that PSA come back? Did it go up or down? Do we have to do anything more? I also, when I see a mammogram um, and it's normal and I know they're due again in two years, I will send myself a task in two years and it doesn't have to be to me, it can be to my MOA. Uh, recall that patient two Years later. So, I do that with mammograms. I do that with uh, bone density. I certainly do that with colonoscopies that need a repeat in five years, whereby at the stage right now, I tell my patients, you've got to remember too, because in five years I may not be practicing anymore. (laughs) So, uh, but but it's these kind of reminders which are really important. uh, the, the in order to bring like reliability but also continuity uh, mm. making sure that all your ASAP measures that you want to apply are being taken care of.
1: Right, right. Wow. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. I want to uh, I want to thank you for for sharing all of this with you with us. And our final question for our guests is always, what is your one best piece of advice? for clinics that are maybe just starting down the road to improving their access?
2: Well, my best piece of advice is don't get into bad habits up front. Mm-hmm. You know, it is way, way easier to start with the right habits than changing them once they're totally entrenched. Uh, what I'm telling my residents quite often is uh, charting right away. I never leave the exam room until I'm, my charting is done. Uh, so that way I don't forget what I was going to do or what I was going to document I don't sit after the patient visits are over for hours and hours and try to remember what I have to chart so I'm doing that right away
1: All right. well thank you again uh, Dr. Schuster this has been really enlightening and uh, we, we hope to have you join us again someday soon
2: Well thank you very much for having me on your podcast
0: Thanks so much for tuning in Check out the show notes for links to the tools, resources, and websites that were referenced in this podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment, tell us what you thought, and what you'd like to hear more about.
1: And until next time, grab your hammer and keep building, one nail at a time.